Hi, my name is Ian Alexander Tash, and you're listening to Course Consideration, brought to you by The Runner. CSUB has a lot of different degrees and even more classes, but most of us don't know what's being taught on our campus, and we might be really missing out on some of that. So that's why I decided to interview some professors to hopefully see what sort of interesting, odd things that our campus thinks might be cool to learn. I hope you enjoy the interview. Uh, could you introduce yourself and tell the listeners a little bit about who you are? Yeah, so I'm Dr. Sean Wimpy, and I uh, work in the history department here at CSUB. Um, my specialties are modern Europe, modern Germany, the history of imperialism in sub-Saharan Africa, and the history of public health. Um, so pretty wide-ranging interests um, that seem disparate, but they all come together pretty effectively in research and teaching. Um, so those are the things that I'm really drawn to. That's awesome. I, I imagine the public health thing is especially of interest right now. <laughs> yeah, so I've also got a history of public health course that I proposed the first year that I uh, started here at CSUV. That's also a GE course, History 4528. Uh, and that one uh, will be offered this coming spring. I'm going to try and offer it every year. It's mm -hmm. been very popular lately, as you can imagine. Um, so it's been full with a wait list every semester that one. Dang. <laughs> so, that that's that's pretty that's pretty crazy that's awesome though dang yeah it's my I mean, favorite one i've got okay. it i i that does sound interesting but uh but i admit that I, our interview here today is because i found about another class that sounded somewhat interesting that you've taught before yeah um so it that would be history 2208 i believe um so God, Sex, and Revolution, The Joy of History. Is that is that the correct title? Yeah, so I, I tend to just call it The Joy of History, um, and others okay. include the, the catchy stuff at the beginning. Um, and the, the catchy part at uh, the beginning might confuse folks is what this course is really about. Um, okay. So it kind of makes sense that we're having this interview with these questions. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah. it's, okay. it's kind of a fun lower level course. Okay, so how would you describe how what, what this course is like then? So this course is actually about um, portrayals of the past in media and other forms of representation of history outside of professional historians and how we engage with those critically and think about them carefully. Um, it's going to be a variable topic course depending on who teaches it as far as how they approach it. Uh, so mm -hmm. some of them may look at the role of religion in media more. Some of them may look at sexual norms more. Um, some of them may incorporate imagery of revolutions. But there's some mainstays to the course in the sense that there's four main areas that we explore. The okay. first is cinema, documentary, and television. Mm -hmm. The second is print culture. The third is public art and exhibitions. And the fourth is digital platforms and how all of these media types represent the past in one way or another. Um, so for instance, under cinema, documentary, and television, we will explore uh, some of those popular dramatic films, period dramas, documentary films, like Kenneth Burns type stuff, uh, and television series like Chernobyl that represent the past but are not works by historians, and how we can analyze and critically engage with those. Um, things like in print culture, um, historical fiction, uh, graphic novels like Mouse, for instance, 
that portray the past but are not written by historians, and also biographies that are sort of a mixed bag. Some of those are by historians, some of them are not. Uh, in public art and expositions, we look at famous paintings, even sculptures, and debates over sculptures, looking at recent contemporary debates over things like the Robert E. Lee sculpture that just came down in Virginia, uh, and how that's memorialization, not history, and how that's a different understanding of the past than what professional historians do. And then how that's evolved into the digital platform now with things like podcasts and blogs and webisodes and websites uh, by folks that have an interest in history, they're history buffs, but they're not always professional historians. Um, and the hope for the course is that while we have fun viewing all of these things, we start looking at them more carefully. Uh, instead of thinking about the crown, for instance, as a perfect representation of the British monarchy and its history under Elizabeth II, critically engaging with, okay, what's the context in which this show was created and how might that impact its representation of the past? So getting students to do that first and foremost thing that historians do, which is contextualize their sources and understand that the way we represent the past and the present often has more to do with us than it does the actual past. Okay, so so in a way, we're, you're looking at how people sort of reinterpret the things that are that are done. Um, like uh, I noticed, you mentioned like the the Robert E. Lee statues and memorialization rather than actual like this is this is a representation of a historical event. It's like, well, this is how you should interpret a historical event as by the person making it. Am I on the right track with that? Or yeah, so for instance, with an example like the Confederate statues. Mm -hmm. The actual history is those statues going up, social debates over those statues, those statues coming down. That's what an historian would call history. Uh, mm -hmm. And then the history of the Civil War is related, but separate from the history of those statues, which have their own baggage, mostly from the 1920s, um, tied to the Daughters of the Confederacy and things like that, that resurrected the notion of the lost cause um, and things of that nature. So. Often when we hear somebody say, well, tearing down the statue is tearing down our history and our representation of history, it's not actually because what historians would say is the events that are occurring now are history that will be analyzed in the future as well. So it's part of the ongoing story, whereas the memorial itself is just one fixed moment mm -hmm. in that longer narrative. Okay. Um, if that makes more sense. That, that does make a lot of sense. Yeah. So uh so it sounds like this is a lot more of just more recent things of analyzing history rather than here's a history textbook which is really interesting to me so yeah so i mean we do look at things to where um in order to help students understand for instance i showed them an episode of the the miniseries chernobyl right okay yeah now none of my students are old enough to remember chernobyl so they didn't <laughs> right, live there. yes so it's history for them Mm -hmm. This miniseries is a historical fiction account. So in yes. order to get them to see the difference between history and historical fiction, I have to provide a bit of a lecture and a bit of context on the mm -hmm. actual events of Chernobyl and what led up to it, mm -hmm. and then let them analyze the television series itself. And then mm -hmm. think about, okay, why did this television series come out in 2019, 2020? Mm -hmm. um, what's going on in that context that would lead people to, hey, I want entertainment about this horrible Chernobyl event in mm -hmm. the 80s. 
um, what's driving that? So it's a little mm -hmm. bit of both because we've got these events that are generated in the present that are analyzing events in the past. Mm -hmm. um, and that's constant relationship is what we're exploring mm -hmm. and critically mm -hmm. engaging with. There's some parallelism sort of going on in that Chernobyl incident. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's awesome. Okay. I like this. I like that idea a lot. Um, so, all right. So, go. So, we've, so now we've delved a little bit into like what the methodology of this class sort of is, the the framework we're using. But what is the workload that these students are going to be taking? What is that like? So the workload as a 2000 level course is not as intense as say my 4000 level courses, which are more for juniors and seniors. This is open for, you could walk into this class your first semester freshman status or first day as a transfer student, no worries. Um, the workload is um, a little bit mixed and it will probably vary depending on who teaches it each year because it won't always be me. I'm just the first one since I developed the course. Um, it's gonna be a little bit of a mix. As far as reading load, uh, there's parts to where sections of the semester to where we're working on cinema documentary, or we're looking at art, or we're looking at blogs and podcasts to where the reading load is light, but the visual and auditory component is heavier. Mm -hmm. um, when we deal with print culture though, that's where the reading gets a little heavier. I normally have them read one historical fiction novel. Okay. The time I taught it, I had them read The Old Drift. Uh, mm -hmm which is a uh, historical fiction account about uh, an African country. Um, okay. So, uh, and it's post-colonial experience by um, Namwali Serpel. Um, okay. So that's, uh, gives us a little bit of context there. Uh, and then we, I obviously had to explain African history to them, this particular country that's portrayed in the novel. Um, we also read a graphic novel history, which, I actually have it here in my office. This one, The Great Hanoi Rat Hunt, okay. uh, which I also use in my historian's craft course. Um, and this is a graphic novel representation of uh, French imperial disease control policies mm -hmm. in what was then French Indochina, what, that we now know as Vietnam, Laos, Cambodia, okay. uh, at the turn of the 20th century during the third pandemic of bubonic plague. Um, sort of an odd topic for a graphic novel, right? Yeah. Um, but kind of fascinating uh, that that's there. Um, so we engage with that. That's a little bit on the heavier side because it's a, uh, it's about a hundred pages. Uh, and the novel, I don't have them read the whole one because that's three hundred pages, but at least half of it. Um, okay. So the reading load, it's going to vary. Sometimes I may do short stories instead of novels for the historical fiction. Uh, it's just going to depend on the semester. Uh, it won't always be the same books. That way students can get a novel experience each time. Um, as far as assignments, um, their, their midterm exam is the first big one, and that's a primary source analysis. So teaching them how to look at a document uh, in its historical context. So instead of just giving me a summary of one of the sources that we looked at, whether it's a, a miniseries or a film or a graphic novel, they have to actually think like an historian in the future, looking back on this document, which is itself looking back on the past and try to understand why in this period are they mm -hmm. representing the past in this particular fashion. 
and really interrogate that contextualizing and analyzing that source. Mm -hmm. um, and I walk them through that. I walk them through my little acronym for uh, primary source analysis, which is CANS, contextualize, analyze, never simply summarize. Uh, it's a little <laughs> rhyme. Uh, and we work through That's that. Uh, so they're prepared for the midterm. They have four shorter assignments that are their historical expression journals. Uh, mm -hmm. And there's one for each category, one for cinema, one for public art, one for print culture, one for digital platforms. Um, so after we go through those, they think back on, okay, how did we walk through all these sources that we examined and reflect on uh, how we approach those. Uh, and then the final is they find a local example of this. Uh, mm -hmm. from either in Bakersfield, Kern County, the San Joaquin Valley, or California, of something that's portraying uh, from the present that's portraying some aspect of the past at the local, county, regional, or state level, uh, and mm -hmm. then do a critical analysis of it as their final exam. And that's intended to be a poster presentation uh, that's like a mini research assignment, but since we first taught this with COVID and on Zoom, we did those as PowerPoint or Prezi presentations. Mm -hmm. So it's going to depend. Once we're back in person, it will be a poster probably again. Okay. Well, awesome. I mean, I. So what was that? That cans approach. I really like that. That's definitely something I'll, I'll use in my my, my tutoring sessions with uh because I do writing work and I do uh, religious studies tutoring. So awesome. looking at those texts, yeah, that that's really good. But okay, cool, awesome. Yeah, I can, and, and I totally get the PowerPoint necess yeah. necessitation during COVID times, especially. So awesome, okay, cool. That So it sounds sounds like they're, they're gonna be doing some work, but it's like you said, it's not as high level like stress as- No, it's not like a- not like a 15 page research paper like they might have in an upper division course. Right. Um, yeah. So it's it's a little bit lighter than that. Okay, good. Awesome. I'm sure a lot of people who might be interested will be happy to hear that for sure. Um so so you've only taught this class about uh so you taught it first last year, correct? Yeah, so it um got approved as a GE. Uh, and a new course within the arts and humanities just before we went into to lockdown then. And then I offered it in the spring of, no wait, spring of, yeah, spring of 2020. And then I offered it in spring of 2021, uh, if I remember correctly. Um, okay. That sounds right. Uh, so that's the very first time anybody in the department had offered it because it was a brand new course. We hope to offer it uh, at least once a year. Um, the only reason it's not being offered this year is because we've got two faculty members that are on sabbatical right now, uh, another that departed to take a job with Canadian government, uh, and another that's retiring this year. So we're a little shorthanded, but we should be back to full strength uh, next year after we complete a number of tenure track searches. So we should be back on that normal schedule soon. Okay, cool. I'm Yeah, so that'll be something for students to look forward then to to, to be, be looking out next next fall for or next spring for whatever these courses may be okay cool that is that is that is some good stuff there for them um who would you encourage to take this class when it when it is offered next time i would say it's designed as a general education course so it's mm -hmm. open for everyone 
Um, I would encourage anyone who is interested in the past, the way the past is represented in the present, and those ongoing debates that we seem to continuously have about the past in our present society to take this course um, to help with their critical thinking skills in their everyday lives. And also, it's just fun uh, to get a little bit more understanding uh, and conceptualization about how uh, truth is stranger than fiction sometimes. Mm -hmm. I'll put it that way. Um, yeah. Cool. And you said it's a GE requirement. What do you know what uh, what it covers on GE? So it's it's uh, it satisfies a GE requirement. So okay. what this one satisfies um, is the. Let me double check what the exact code is. Okay. Um, it is the self, S E L F, of course. Um, because okay. what we also encourage them to do in the final is think through how their own reflections of their local community and their civic engagement are changed by these understandings of the past, these critical analyses of these representations. Awesome. Okay, cool. So the self-requirement then. All right. Correct. So before we before we wrap up, I I have a bit of a two-in-one question for you, and you can answer it whichever order you want. Um, okay. What it, when you taught this course before, what would you say has been your favorite moment and your least favorite moment teaching this course? Hmm. Uh, the first time I taught it was in spring of 2021. Um, and so I would say my least favorite part was that I didn't get to do it in person uh, the mm. first time. It had to be on Zoom. And knowing history of public health, I entirely support that decision. We had right. to do it. It's for the good of everyone, but it would have been good to have some of the dynamics of the in-person experience for my students. Um, so hopefully that will be better next time. As okay. far as the um, favorite part of my uh, part of the course uh, mm -hmm. is I did a little bit of analysis of how historical fiction does alternate history uh, with an episode of The Man in the High Tower. Um, oh, okay. Out, uh, how this is completely off the wall and speculative history should be very careful. But I also noted somebody did very careful research for that series. So I pointed out these little idiosyncrasies, these little esoteric bits of knowledge in there that uh, really somebody got into the nitty gritty detail about how this would have um, played out. Um, so the, for example, the name of the airport uh, that's portrayed in the series and the episode that I showed um, is the the name of a uh, uh, a horrible, uh, really kind of a horrible person, uh, a, ne a, a Nazi sympathizer in the United States. But everybody would have assumed it says, well, Lincoln Rockwell is that named after Abraham Lincoln and Norman Rockwell, Lincoln Rockwell Airport? No, it's named after this horrid Nazi sympathizer in the US. And in an alternate history, he probably would have been celebrated by a Nazi sympathetic United States. And so it's these little tidbits that somebody clearly did careful research um, in trying to craft this alternate narrative. Um, and it's really superb. I also point out the differences between it and um, Philip K. Dick's novel, uh, because the series is obsessed with the Nazi alternate history. Uh, whereas the book 
is obsessed more with the Japanese occupation and is much more focused there if that had occurred. Um, so then I explore, okay, so why is the United States in this particular period so obsessed with what would happen if the Nazis had won and the United States became a fascist Nazi regime? Uh, what is it about our current circumstances that are making that fear uh, more uh, of a concern and something that they want to explore in fiction to terrify people in our contemporary setting? So, and students had a lot of fun with that. Um, so it was it was cool. Um, I also enjoyed doing the Great Hanoi Rat Hunt because students were like, "What?" And then since we were in the middle of another pandemic, they're like wait, there was a pandemic that lasted 100 years? And I'm like, yeah, the third pandemic of plague was 100 years. Like, you think this is bad? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, we, we've got only two years on this thing. Uh, but <laughs> like, and that's, that's, that's pretty good by historical standards. Um, right. there's, there have been some that have lasted five centuries. So oh, I'm really yes. hoping that's not the case with this one. <laughs> so, But students enjoyed it and really engaged effectively. And those are my favorite days in classes when the students really jump on stuff. Thank you for joining us for Course Considerations, brought to you by The Runner on the Air. What did you think about this class? Feel free to reach out to us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or TikTok. And of course, you can always read our publication on therunneronline.com. We hope to see you again soon.